0: Well, good morning, First Fam. Uh, it's great to be with you guys. This morning, it's an actual fall day, which is nice, because last year we like didn't really get fall, so that's super exciting. Uh, so thanks for those of you who are new with us. Uh, just one quick thing about our church. The one thing we are about, uh, above all else, is helping each other follow Jesus. And kinda what you notice, if you spend any time around here at this church, or you get connected, plugged in in various ways, we try to challenge one another to follow Jesus each and every day of our life. That, that That being a Christian, being a disciple isn't just something you do on Sundays, but rather it's something that you carry with you into every relationship, wherever you go, wherever you work, wherever you play, all of those types of things. And so one of the things though today, today's text is going to, I think, resonate with us because if you're like me, faith is a journey. And you don't do it perfectly, I don't do it perfectly, and there's definitely seasons and moments in which you need a little bit of a refresher. You need a little bit of encouragement, and I believe today's text, no matter where you find yourself in faith, that this is going to be something that you can resonate with. Now, there are certain things in life that just go together, right? Well, let's do a little crowd participation this morning. I'm going to start a phrase, and all you guys have to do collectively is just finish the phrase, okay? Pretty easy. This isn't a test. Well, I guess maybe it kind of is a test, but, you know, we'll see how it goes. All right, here's the first one. Peanut butter and? There you go. See, it's pretty easy, okay? Uh, Macaroni and? Okay, milk and? Oh, see, that one was split. We got some like Old Testament people like, milk and honey, this is a church. That has to be the answer, right? No, the obvious answer is just milk and cereal. Uh, Here's another one, taco, nope, Tuesdays. Come on, people, taco Tuesdays. They just go together. Now, there are certain things in life that just go together. There are other things that just kind of don't make sense. Let me give you a couple examples. Why is it that we drive on parkways and park on driveways? You ever think about that one before? How about taxes? Everyone's like, oh, you yeah, know. Yeah. How is it that the government knows exactly how much you owe them, but they're not going to tell you, you have to figure it out until you pay less, then they'll let you know, oh yeah, by the way, you didn't figure it out quite right. Why is it that the state of Hawaii has an interstate highway system? You can be up for something and down for something, and it means the exact same thing. There are things in life that sometimes just don't make sense or don't go together. Life can be weird sometimes. You can do the right thing and get wrong results. You can do the wrong thing and get good results. That's something I think everyone has experienced before. There's that old phrase that there is no parade for the right thing. And even in life of faith and following Jesus, there are things that are just a little bit backwards or that don't make sense. Jesus says, pray for those who persecute you no matter what they do or how long they persecute you for, you are to pray for them. Jesus says to give 10% back to the church and back to God because it is a transformed way of living. Forgive 70 times seven times. It's a number that's supposed to mean unlimited amount, not just two or three. Three. How about this one? Try this one on for size. Acts chapter 21, verse 13. There's another thing that maybe sometimes might not make sense. This is Apostle Paul. It says, then he answered, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I am ready not only to be bound, tied up, so to speak, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Doesn't this kind of run counter to some things we think about life and faith following Jesus? Like Sometimes we think that, okay, well, there's this transactional way of dealing with God, that God, if I, if I give enough money, if I attend church enough times, if I help enough old ladies across the street, then therefore you must move on my behalf. We, we sometimes approach God and we approach faith from a transactional mindset, that if I do my part, then God's got to do his part. He must keep me happy. He must keep my family healthy. He must bless me. But if we dive into scripture, we see we're not called to a transactional faith. We are called to a transformed life. And sometimes that transformed way of living doesn't make sense. I see, you read in the stories of Scripture all throughout the Bible, there are people who who walk through life and they do it right. There are people who live obedient, step after step, day after day, decision after decision. They are following God and perhaps then things don't go their way. And my question is oftentimes when I read those stories in Scripture, I think, how? How did they keep remaining faithful? Why did they keep following God in obedience, even though they were doing all the right things and it kind of seemed to come crashing down around them? How did they not crater into themselves when they probably faced that feeling of being forgotten or forsaken or perhaps even betrayed by God? Think about that feeling of being forsaken chances are you have felt that at some point in life. You feel alone, you feel stuck, you feel betrayed or abandoned. But even Jesus understood that idea of feeling forsaken by God when Jesus was taking his final breath on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so this is the big question I wanna ask us all today to wrestle with is this question is what do we do when doing the right thing goes the wrong way. What do we do when the right step, the next step, following Jesus obediently seems to go the wrong way? Because sometimes it makes sense and other times it just doesn't seem to match. What do we do? when doing the right thing seems to go the wrong way. If you have your Bible, and I hope that you do, I invite you to turn with me to Acts chapter 21 this morning, we are in week 21 out of our 28 week series through the study of the book of Acts. If you have your sermon notes, you can pull those out and we're gonna begin going through those as well. You can follow along on our app as well. Uh, No matter who you are though, I bet you can relate to that question. What do you do when the right thing seems to go the wrong way? And whether that's in your marriage or your parenting, your workplace, how you live your life, but certainly your faith, those feelings of being forsaken are known well by us all. And what do we do when they come our way? Acts chapter 21, we're starting in verse 4 here this morning. Paul and Luke and the group, they're traveling, and we catch up with them here. He says, we sought out the disciples in this place called Asiree. We sought out the disciples there and stayed with them seven days. Through the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go to Jerusalem. They knew Paul was trying to get back to the city of Jerusalem to kind of finish his journey and his quest. When it was time to leave, we left and continued on our way. All of them, including wives and children, accompanied us out of this city. And there on the beach, we knelt to pray. After saying goodbye to each other, we went aboard the ship, and they returned home. We continued on our voyage from Tyre and landed in Ptolemaeus, where we were greeted by the brothers and sisters and stayed with them for a day. Leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea and stayed at the house of Philip the Evangelist who of the seven. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. After we had been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt, tied it on his own hands and feet with it, and said, the Holy Spirit says, in this way, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people pleaded with Paul not to go up to Jerusalem, Then Paul answered, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. When he would not be dissuaded, we gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. Interesting passage begins to kind of unfold. They kind of go to some new places, visit some old people, but twice in this passage, you notice there's prophecy saying, hey, Paul, if you go to Jerusalem, if you stay on this course, things are not gonna go well for you. Anybody wanna know their future this morning? Come on, somebody's gonna wanna know their future, right? You guys remember these things? To be honest, uh, I had to look up a video from like a junior high girl how to make one of these. All right, hey, hey, give me uh, would you, uh, violet, blue, red, or green. Red, R-E-D. Thank you for keeping it simple. I can spell. Uh, five, eight, three, or seven. Seven. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. You guys can't decide anything, so I'm going to go over here. Okay, uh, one, two, nine, or four. We're going to talk to you right there. One, two, nine, or four. Four, okay, you ready for your future? Here it is. Bitcoin is the future. That's what your future holds. When we talk prophecy in scripture, more often than not, we're not talking about future telling. We're not talking about here's what's gonna happen in, in a month or six years or six decades. More often than not, when the word prophecy comes up in scripture, when it says Agabus had four daughters who prophesied, it means they could take the truths of scripture and explain them. Very rarely did it actually mean future telling. Yet this is one of those rare instances, twice in this passage, twice in this text. Paul, if you go to Jerusalem you will be bound and handed over to die. And it wasn't like very broad, general things. It wasn't like, Paul, if you go to Jerusalem, it might not go well for you. The dude took his own belt off him, tied it up and says, this is what will happen to you. If you continue to follow God in this notion, things are gonna go well for you. And here's the thing, it actually happens. happens. This isn't made up. Look what it says in Acts chapter 21 verses 30 and then 33 through 36. It continues saying the whole city at this point was aroused. They were angry and the people came running from all directions, seizing Paul. They dragged him from the temple and immediately the gates were shut. The commander came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. Then he asked who he was and what he had done. And some in the crowd shouted one thing and some another. And since the commander could not get at the truth because of the uproar, he ordered that Paul be taken into the barracks. When Paul reached the steps, the violence of the mob was so great that he had to be carried by the soldiers. The crowd that followed him kept shouting, Get rid of him. At this point, Paul had two groups of people say, Paul, if you go to Jerusalem, your future does not look good. The Jewish Christian leaders in in the city of Jerusalem tried to give him a cop out. Go to the temple, do this ritual, and just appease the Jewish leaders, and therefore you can keep yourself safe. But he doesn't listen. He goes forward, still continues to say, the God of the universe cares for Jews and Gentiles alike. He wants anyone and everyone who believes in him to not perish but have eternal life. And then he gets handed over and it begins to happen. Things are not going well for him. But I have a lot of questions when I read this text. Maybe you do too. Why did Paul not listen to the prophecies? Why did Paul not just take the cop out and justify it later? Why did Paul not just avoid Jerusalem altogether and heed the warnings? But the biggest question that I have is not about his external circumstances, but his internal circumstance. How? How did he stand knowing full well staying true and obedient to God to make his way to Jerusalem, knowing what was lying ahead and still being truthful. As all of this is going down, I can't help but think Paul began to feel forsaken by those in ministry with him. Don't go, don't follow the will of God for your life, don't do it. Definitely felt forsaken and betrayed by the Jewish leaders who were still masked by the truth as Jesus of Messiah. He probably even some degree was like, God, where are you at here? I'm I'm living you, for you, I'm following you, I'm trying to do, my just direct my whole life after you, why are you not intervening? And the thoughts of being forsaken or betrayed had to have been running through his mind. When I think of betrayal, one scene from a particular movie, Star Wars episode five, comes to mind, and it's this scene, check it out. So you see, since we're a small operation, we don't fall into the jurisdiction of the empire. So you're part of the mining guild, then? No, not actually. Our operation is small enough not to be noticed, which is advantageous for everybody, since uh, our customers are anxious to avoid attracting attention to themselves. Aren't you afraid the Empire's going to find out about about this little operation? Shut you down? It's always been a danger, but it looms like a shadow over everything we've built here. But things have developed that'll ensure security. I've just made a deal that'll keep the Empire out of here forever. if you would join us. I had no choice. they right right before you did. I'm sorry. I'm sorry is it. That feeling of betrayal is real, right? Had no choice. I'm sorry. I'm sorry too. See, Paul was not some type of superhuman disciple. He's just like you and I, that as he's struggling through faith, the thoughts and the questions of why, how come, where did I go wrong? Has God left my side? What did I do to deserve this? What do we do when doing the right thing seems to go the wrong way? How do we live this out? couple of thoughts for us this morning. Number one, that feeling forsaken is a part of everyone's story. That feeling forsaken is a part of everyone's story. Paul even says, why are you crying? You are breaking my heart, trying to keep me from following after God's will for my life. And my, my guess is you have felt forsaken or betrayed in life at some time or another. And it sucks, doesn't it? Isn't it one of the worst feelings ever? You get that bad diagnosis. After thinking and hoping and praying, you would get the all clear. Students, think about this. Sometimes doing the right thing is the unpopular choice. That hurts. Everyone in the friend group decides to hang out and do something, but you intentionally get left out. You were promised that job or that promotion. At the last minute, they hand it over to somebody else. The organization doesn't heed your opinion. That marital strife can't seem to be resolved. We all know what it's like to feel forsaken. But here's the other thing, and I need you to hear me when I say this. is Even though we experience feeling forsaken in life, we also participate in it. Apostle Paul will later write to the church in Rome. We have all forsaken God. We've all betrayed God. Romans chapter three, all have sinned, all have betrayed God and fall short of his glory. And the price of that betrayal is death. So even though we feel forsaken a lot in life, oftentimes we refuse to look at our own ways in which we have betrayed God in which we have turned our backs upon him. We want to focus on how he hasn't come through for us. We want to start pointing fingers and blaming God and saying, God, where are you at in the midst of this situation, in the midst of this relationship, in the midst of this moment, without giving a second thought, oh yeah, I've been there. I've done the same thing to him. And the beauty of our God is that even in the midst of when we forsake him, he still loves us. He still pursues us out of his grace. Feeling forsaken is a part of everyone's story. Number two is just because something sounds spiritual doesn't mean that it is. Just because it sounds religious, just because it's got some Jesus language tacked on doesn't mean that it actually is. Sometimes the counsel of friends filtered through their grid of fears or concerns can be misguided. Those nuggets of wisdom that sound good make you feel better, but I mean, if you really pull on them, they're not quite good. If you ain't first, you're last, right? I'm just kidding, that's Ricky Bobby. Doesn't make sense though, because you can be second, third, fourth, you can even be fifth. But things like, if God closes the door, He's going to open another one. Well, God just wants me to be happy. Your setback is really a setup for your comeback. God will never give you more than you can handle. Just because it sounds spiritual doesn't mean that it actually is. Paul had people prophesying towards him. It was true, it was right, it sounded spiritual, but it was the wrong thing because they had misunderstood one crucial, important fact. What is God's will in this moment? What is God wanting us to do? What is God desiring Paul's life to look like? What you're saying sounds good. What they were saying was in fact true, but in the end, Paul says, I follow Christ more than I follow the advice of any man. Now that's not to say we shouldn't heed advice from people who are spiritually mature. That doesn't say we shouldn't listen to spiritual authority in our lives, but it should always be compared to the truth of scripture. Even Jesus pleaded with God, God, I'm about to die. I'm about to take on the sin of the world, but not my will be done. Yours. Like Paul, like Jesus, we must all discern the will of God for our own lives and always compare it against scripture. Romans chapter 12, verse two, Paul will write this to the church in Rome. He says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed in the renewing of your mind. Why? Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Paul's response to those in his life in Acts chapter 21 is, is Jesus is Lord of all of my life. He is Lord of all of my life, not just some of it. If Jesus is, is God of my life, he is God over all of my life, not just some of it. And that's convicting for me. Because when I live life, there's a lot of times where I'm like, God, you can be, you can be Lord of this time of this day. And you can be God for, how about you, you can be, you can be God for Sunday for about an hour and a half, two, three hours type of thing. But don't worry, I've got it from here. God, you can be, you can be God over, over what is right and wrong, but I will get to be Lord of my wallet. God, you get to be God over um, just, you know, kind of how I should treat people. But I get to be Lord of, of, of what I think about sexuality. And Paul takes a stand back and he says, if Jesus is Lord of my life, he's Lord of everything. He's either Lord of everything or he's Lord of nothing. Because his mind was transformed to know that God's will is always good and pleasing and perfect no matter the external circumstance, because Jesus is either Lord of all or not at all. Third thing, though, that I see in this text is not every valley is because of a wrong turn. Not every valley is because of a wrong turn. Paul understood that sometimes for things to go well in the kingdom, it meant it might not go so well for him. And that's why we are called to obedience, not to comfort or success. God's way is always good, but it's not always necessarily easy. Think what the psalmist says in Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for my God is with me. It's not, even though I never go through the valley of the shadow of death because I've done a bunch of good things, even though I used to walk through the valley of the shadow of death, but now that I've been saved, I never have to go there again. It's even though I walk through the valley of the shadow, even though I don't deserve to be here, even though I might not have done anything to find myself in this valley, I know that my God is with me. My God is for me. My God is fighting for me. God will never betray you. He will never lead you astray. He will never forsake you. But that doesn't mean it won't feel like it sometimes. That doesn't mean there aren't hard and difficult decisions. That doesn't mean pursuing obedience won't sting as we begin to transform our lives. So here's what I going to do for the remainder of, of, of my time this morning is I just want to speak for a few moments over where I've been recently in my own spiritual journey. What do you do when you feel like you're doing the right thing and it isn't turning out the way that you want it to? Like you're, you're doing your best to love God and follow Jesus. You're not perfect. I know that. And you've tried only to feel like he's forsaken you. Only to feel like maybe perhaps he's, he's kind of left you behind. What do we do when we feel forsaken? Like think about when you feel forsaken in life. What do you need most? Do you need answers? Do you need clarity? Do you need explanations? They help a little bit. When I feel forsaken, the thing I need more than anything else in this life is the reassurance of love, the reassurance of presence. And whether that's feeling forsaken in marriage, whether that's feeling forsaken in family, whether that's feeling forsaken in the workplace or feeling forsaken in faith, the one thing I need more than anything else is that reassurance of love. And my recent struggle in my journey with Jesus has been this exact thing. A God of power, I understand. A God of right and wrong and rule and law and justice and wrath, I can affirm that. But a God of love? Like, really? God of love, God loves you, God is love. He's the definition of love, his presence is love, really? Because it doesn't feel like it right now. It, it doesn't feel like you're loving me, God. What do you do when you feel like you're doing all the right things you still feel forsaken? And God says, I will reassure you of my love. I will reassure you of my presence. That even though you feel like you are walking through a dark valley, I am with you. And then I start to think, I don't know if you actually would because of what I've done because of how I have forsaken you. You know how many times I've, I've, I've told God, God, I'm sorry, I won't do that again. I'll stop doing that thing. I'll clean this up in my heart and in my life. I'll try and love that person even though you, uh, you want me to, it's kind of difficult. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll make more time for you because I know you're important. You know man, how many times I've had that conversation with God and not fallen through. And God says, I'm still here. I still love you. I still want to walk with you. I've never left you. What do we do? We've done the right things. We still feel forsaken. And that's where those spiritual disciplines we talk about become so important spending time in his word, spending time in, with him in prayer, giving of him, giving, giving back to him financially. when I don't want to, when I use my gifts, when I confess my sin, when I pursue community that will hold me accountable. All of that is an experience of God's love. Not his wrath, not his justice, not his rule, not his right or his wrong, his love. And here's what I have begun to notice, and this has transformed my time with God like never before, is that when I get up in the morning and the times that I, I spend time in scripture, I say to myself, this God here, this God who breathed this word, who created this world, who gives me life, this God here, who got Paul through Acts chapter 21, who stood with those people, who sustained Job through all of the garbage, this God here, this God here loves me. He knows me. He calls me by name. And despite the junk and garbage I've put him through, despite the junk and garbage that I have created and I have placed on him, this God still loves me. When the lies of Satan start to creep into my mind, you're not good enough to be loved by God. He won't forgive you this time. If only you behaved better, he could really do something with you. If only you were a better preacher, the church would be in a different spot. If only you were a better leader, maybe those hard decisions wouldn't be so hard. If only you were funnier than, well, that's a lie. yeah, I know that one's a lot. Right? When those lies start to creep in and there's the power of the spirit that says, give that to me. That's a lie. That's not true. My love for you is not based on anything other than my son dying for you and giving you eternal life. When the justifications start to roll in yet again, what's just another day without prayer? What's just one more morning, not getting up and getting into his word? What's just another week not being in community? Well, I'll give more next paycheck. I'll give more once the inflation calms down. I'll give in to this temptation just one more time because we have grace, right? And that's okay. And God says, have I never forsaken you before? Have I ever betrayed you before? I have a better way. Because I think what happens when we feel forsaken, these death sentences creep into our minds and then our hearts and sometimes they come out of our mouth to the point in which they begin to define us. I'm done can't do it anymore i'm ready to quit let's just get a divorce the business will never bounce back we've lost too many people i'm a failure nobody can help me god ever love someone like me i've done too many bad things to be used by god all of those things are death sentences All of those feelings of being forsaken want to keep you in a pit of despair. And so my challenge to all of us is when we begin to think and to feel and to hear death sentences creeping up into our mind, we counteract it with a life sentence given by Jesus Christ. Something like this. That the pit of forsakenness is only filled by the depths of love the pit of feeling abandoned, the pit of feeling betrayed is only overcome by the depths of his love. We can never develop as people. We can never develop in our faith without pain. And the very thing that discourages you, if you give it over to the power of God, if you find strength and you allow it to make you Tough and resilient in the love of Christ. The very thing that discourages you will develop you to stand even stronger and more firm than ever before. But we can't continue to ask why. We have to ask ourselves what. Just because you feel forsaken doesn't mean you have to stay there. Doesn't mean that God doesn't love you but it is about what's happening inside of you more often than not than what's going on around you. So what do we do when doing the right thing seems to go the wrong way? What do we do when we feel forsaken? Asking why evokes all the feelings, but asking what brings progress. What do I need to do now? What is my next step? What is my plan to move forward? What can I begin doing today that keeps me centered on Jesus Christ? What can I do to help others? But ultimately, what can I do to experience his love today than ever before? Would you pray with me as we continue to worship this morning? Lord, we bow humbly in our hearts before you. You are the God of love. You are the God of grace. You are the God of of new beginnings. I pray for anyone here this morning. Honestly, I pray for this myself. Anyone that feels forsaken right now. Anyone that feels betrayed. Anyone that feels hurt or alone. May the power of your spirit just overwhelm us. May the presence of you, of your son, Jesus, overwhelm us. May the reality of your love that you revealed to us, may that fill that pit, may it rise us out of the ashes. May we lean in to your love to the truth that you never have and you never will forsake us. For you are good, you are king, you are Jesus, and your love reigns forever. Amen.